really structure a song extremely well. Well, this album, you know, like you said, it it kind of goes from up-tempo funk to a little bit of disco to ballad, breezy stoner anthem to to ballad to up-tempo funk. Yeah. Speak Easy Studios. Speak and be heard. Yo, this is Stephen Lee. And I'm Frank Jackson. And And we we are are the Distinguished Critics. Critics. We're here to break down some of our favorite albums and songs and debate what's overrated, underrated, and everything in between. So join us as we go back and relive some of music's most iconic projects. Give us a listen wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and give us those five stars. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of This or That. I'm Stephen Lee, as always, joined by Frank Jackson, and today... We will be shifting gears. That's right. We're taking it all the way back to the 70s with two orchestrators of funk, in particular P-Funk and Punk Funk. That's right. We're talking about Rick James' debut, Come Get It, released in April of 1978, and Parliament's Mothership Connection, released in December of 1975. Frank, how you doing today, man? Good, man. I'm excited to switch it up a little bit. Uh, You know, we enjoy talking hip-hop, but uh, I think even more so... We probably enjoy the the oldies right uh, a little bit more. It's well, it's, it's the foundation. It's interesting uh, when you listen to music from different eras uh, and discover kind of where things came from, where they originated. So much of the things we heard uh, growing up, we at the time have no idea that like this thing's birth was. 40 years ago, you know, it could of, be a, yeah. could be a sample or it could be just a line from a song back then that got turned into a hook that became a famous hip hop song. And we're talking about these two artists in particular, or, or this group and this artist in particular. Um, I mean, they, they gave birth to so much of, of what we talk about and so many of the things that we will discuss right. uh, on this podcast. So. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when we decided to kind of step out of, I don't want to say our comfort zone, because we do enjoy talking about this music, but this was probably the most intimidating um, two albums, I think, that we could choose to tackle, at least for me personally, because I hold both of these artists in such high regard that you want to make sure you're doing them justice when discussing these two seminal albums. So one question I had for you, just to kind of kick it off, because we didn't necessarily grow up with this music on the radio is when was the first time that you remember hearing parliament funkadelic and Rick James? So parliament, uh, that was just one of those things where it's funny as a kid, uh, you're riding, you know, road trip or whatever. Uh, I got family in Tampa. We'd take a road trip to Tampa and, my parents would be playing their music and, you know, as a kid, I hated it. Uh, and I remember, you know, hearing flashlight and just, and, and at the time it was just like, man, what you know, what is this shit? Like, yeah. it's crazy how different it sounds to me now. It's just, it's a masterpiece. But, um, so my exposure to parliament was, uh, very young as far as Rick goes, probably somewhere, uh, probably somewhere around late middle school is, is when I 
like started to kind of put together who Rick James really even was. And uh, I would say it, it was before the whole Chappelle thing. Yeah, you know, but, you know that that was going to be brought right. up in some capacity. It was before the whole Chappelle thing, but that I, I had I, as many people didn't in our age group had no idea that Rick was that wild. And then when you learn about him, he is infinitely wilder than even that. Like, but um, yeah, the epitome of like the bad boy. That was the watered down version, really. right? Um, yeah, as far as Rick goes, you know, it's it's the most people's first exposure to Rick is uh, the street songs. Stuff, you know, you're going to hear Super Freak probably before you hear anything from Rick James. That we're discussing today or, right. yeah. Uh, and if it's not, it would be Mary Jane, maybe. Um, yeah, that's a big one, man. So, yeah, I was uh, very young for Parliament, fairly young for Rick. So, confession time for Stephen Lee. The first time I ever oh. heard about Rick James was from Chappelle's show. Um when I was younger, and when I say younger than, because Chappelle Show came out in 02, 03, so we're like yeah. 12, 13 at the time. Right. Um, I had heard Super Freak and Give It To Me Baby and Mary Jane, but I never put the two together that, okay, this is all from this artist. No more so the song than the artist. Correct. Yeah. And when I was younger and getting into music heavy, and I'm talking even like eight or nine years old, I was kind of in two different boxes it was it was hip-hop and just starting to discover what my flavor and taste was in hip-hop and really Motown so it was a lot lot of Marvin Gaye it was the temps it was the four tops I didn't even realize like Rick was associated with Motown and all of this and we'll get into that but numerous times that came that came you know a lot later for me um parliament same year to be honest went and saw undercover brother in theaters classic Eddie Griffin Mm -hmm. film and that's when I heard Parliament, and I was like, oh, I like this. And you could hear, I want to say The Wash, too. I don't know if you remember the movie The Wash with Snoop and Dre. Of course. But that scene where they're playing not just knee-deep, and I'm like, god damn, what is that? You yeah. know. So I would say around 12 or 13 is the time that I first heard them and got into their music gradually and, and deeply as the years went on. Yeah, I mean, the, the funk would just smack you in the face. It's really one of those things where... You kind of you kind of do remember the first time you it it, it enters you and it kind of it just never leaves. Which doesn't really. happen like with a lot of other songs and artists, right? It it's sticks. so funny you mentioned that uh, that undercover brother because I love that movie and uh, that just like that's exactly what uh what I associate that the song P-Funk with. Yeah, yeah, is is him at the the opening to that movie? Yeah. Him just driving with the the orange soda that he like he did the donuts in the car yeah. and the soda didn't spill out the cup like it was just the smoothest shit to coincide yeah. with the movements and the song and it was it was uh it's one of those things that that does paint a picture for me like even if even if I had heard that song prior to that that's what embedded it in me right like and I just well the visuals and everything cause, like yeah there's no music videos back then but like the 70s it just were, made it cool as shit to me oh yeah yeah it, a classic spoof a spoof rather on black exploitation yeah so like the images it kind of calls you back to even though we didn't grow up during that era we've right. seen several films and documentaries and stuff like the 70s was a special and like crazy time as far as music is concerned Definitely. So where do you want to get started? You want to start with Rick? You want to start with Parliament? 
figure we do a little bit of a build and talk about where these artists are, you know, as we usually do, and then dive into these albums. But uh, I'm cool starting anywhere because these are two classics. Uh, yeah, let's let's go with Rick. I I do definitely. Uh, man, the the music, the music is is incredible on but both of these albums is is just i mean these really are two of two of my favorite albums of all time period uh regardless of genre or uh but there is so much when it comes to the artists themselves and how influential they were and 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 the lives of them so i i do want to I do want to get into that. As excited as I am to talk about the music itself, uh, let's start. Let's start with Rick. Yeah, Rick. So Rick um, kind of exploded on the scene with this album in '78, but a lot of people don't know that he was behind the scenes for so much of this with Motown, even um, and even before that. You know, uh, being in a band with Neil Young, the yep. Minor Birds, and yep. there, there's a lot of history with Rick that I think, like the casual fan or even you know somebody that's moderately into his music wouldn't know so he starts off with neil young i believe he dodged the draft right and he went to canada and he got caught and they brought him back and the whole nine so uh rick <laughs> rick two times so he he dodged uh he got caught he got uh sentenced to you know like hard labor yeah yeah and then and then he escaped uh, and went back on the run. Only Rick James for six for six months. Yeah, went and uh, and turned himself back in again. Uh, and and it should be noted during this time when when he was on the run, he was out there doing his music thing. This was during his second stint with Motown. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't release. Yeah, he was there before, right? Yeah, he ended up having three stints with Motown. Right. Okay. Um. They wouldn't release any of his music because they knew about his legal situation. Like, right. if you release music, you're going to get arrested. So he literally had to. So that blew his entire second stay. And Rick was someone who, and we'll get into, he has a song on this album. Rick was a big dreamer. Like, this was the only thing Rick wanted was that Hollywood fame. Like, he wanted that shit He wanted to so be the bad. guy. And when you look at him coming from Buffalo, it's it's not hard right. to see why right, right. like in negative 10 degrees there like what's really going on in buffalo no offense to anybody in buffalo but like no, he but said it himself like i i can't just stay here my whole life right and you know even going back to motown not really wanting to push him in the early 70s um he changed his name to ricky james matthews mm -hmm. at the time and, and actually did like a lot of session work and um collaborations with the funk brothers and um i know you love that song out in the country by david ruffin yep, he's yep. playing guitar on that yep. you know so rick was always kind of in the mix but i think the the struggle and being held back is also what led to like and being that the fire close, being that close to right to seeing the fame. seeing yeah. like all of these big name artists at the time and uh you know waiting on his chance to blow and i think that for Rick, it, it definitely was a long grind. I mean, you're talking about 12 or 13 years before anybody knew him by name. Yep. And I've always viewed Rick as an interesting figure in music period, and I'll tell you why. I don't want to get into the later part of his career today because I'm sure that there'll, yeah. there'll be an episode where maybe we're reviewing Cold-Blooded or something, that. right? Absolutely. You know, uh, Glow or one of those albums. But 
one thing that always intrigued me about Rick is Rick kind of held it down in a time where disco died abruptly yeah. and before the explosion of Prince and Michael Jackson and right. what we saw the wave become in the 80s with the synthesizers and all of that. Right. And um, that's a hell of a thing to do, right? So Rick not only holding, he kind of bridged the gap between disco and the 80s funk while also help create, helping create that sound. Right. But he also held down Motown at a time when... Motown was going a different direction. You know, Michael Jackson was leaving for Epic. Diana Ross left. Stevie Wonder at this point, fresh off his extremely historical run in the 70s, was starting to cool down in terms of releasing projects. And and Rick kind of anchored that company at a time when it could have gone either way. Right. And uh, and just as a side note, you you mentioned Prince and you mentioned uh, Stevie Wonder. So Stevie Wonder was a hero of his, a musical hero of his, and... Along with the group that we're going to be talking about after this. Right. Um, The reason he ended up changing his name, as you mentioned, he had... uh, He used to perform under... He actually performed under several different names doing part to his fugitive status, but um, he settled on Rick James due to the advice given to him by Stevie Wonder, who told him that his Mm. name was a little too wording yeah like you know it's, it just doesn't roll off the tongue right uh and so rick james yeah is ricky james matthews him, actually sounds like some 50s yeah country singer that's 100 <laughs> percent a country singer yeah. so yeah yeah he uh he's the one who suggested to rick that he he just shortened it to well he suggested ricky james and uh and, and rick just changed it to rick james uh as far as prince goes uh prince used to open for Rick James right. and you know they have a they have a famous feud that started with them because of uh you know Rick James and all his Rick Jamesness alleged that uh that Prince stole his his style on stage yeah. and and uh and the, his the act. look yeah he yeah. said he said Prince stole his act and so uh, a little feud started there Prince never wanted to back down from a feud feuded with rick james and michael jackson yeah and he okay so here's the thing i'm glad you brought up the prince thing because everybody always talks about prince and michael's friction a lot of people don't know that uh the hate ran much deeper between prince and rick james yes and both of those artists dropped their debut in 78 but rick james was certainly the first one to blow and like you said he prince was opening up for rick james and you know i'm i'm not really mad at rick feeling that way about prince at the time agreed prince developed into something bigger than i think anybody could have could have imagined but rick at that time i think had a valid point just when you look at the way both of them were dressing and presenting themselves and being so uh like i don't want to say androgynous but they were they were out there flamboyant flamboyant is the perfect word Mm -hmm. and you know that get that rivalry gets lost in the shuffle, I think, because Rick's own demons got a, the best of him, and you know, a decade later, he kind of faded into obscurity oh, yeah. or yeah. made headlines for all the wrong reasons. Right. But this was a legit um, competition at first. I mean, if they're really going Absolutely. to see who's the superior artist, Rick more than held his own for the first three or four, five years of that. Really, until you know, Prince dropped nineteen ninety nine, and and there was no looking back after that. Yeah, I mean, Rick. You know, rightfully so. He he saw this guy, and you know, you can say 
and and you wouldn't be wrong in saying maybe Rick should have had the foresight to to realize oh this guy's kind of like me he's he's demonstrative he's flamboyant it's probably gonna take a little bit away from my because look let's be honest prince is is kind of known for this right like he'll take the eyes off of you right and he'll and people will be more kind of focused on like oh what was that that i just saw right yeah um so if you're gonna follow him and then do some of the same stuff then yeah of course like he's gonna steal the show a little bit but uh so rick now after doing after doing he he ended up getting the sentence taken down from it would have been five years um he ended up getting i think it was like six months or something he stays the whole time this time so now he uh he goes to LA and it moves from LA to Detroit. And this is when he, he's, he works on his solo album and he drops, come get it. Come get it. Yep. With the stone city band. Yes. And, and you know, at this time, uh, it was like Rick James and the stone city band. He hadn't gone full blown. I'm only going by my name. Obviously they played on the majority of his records throughout his career. Yes. But, um, I think it's important to acknowledge their contribution to this project as well because, and we can go ahead and get into the album, but uh, they anchored this just as much as Rick did, in my opinion, just Absolutely. musically. Oh, the instrumentation on this, I mean, this is is perfect. Like, I, he he needed them every bit. As a matter of fact, yeah, I mean, he he, I'll just say that. He needed them every bit as much as they needed him as that front man. Uh, Rick is, you know, one of these people who, you know, every artist has their their thing, right? Uh, some people sing better than others. Some people perform better than others. Some, you know, Rick was never the greatest singer. He's a good By singer. By traditional standards. Right. Yeah. yeah, if you're comparing him to, you know, his contemporaries, right. like there's, you know, there's a lot of people who can sing better than Rick. He's more of a crooner, as we've talked about before. But he knew very well how to manipulate his voice, and he was a hell of a performer. I agree. And he was a hell of a songwriter, outstanding songwriter. So Rick on this album and the Stone City Band, look, a lot of people have to have to run through so many kind of different uh different bands and and you know he did that stuff early on but this was the perfect marriage and it's why they were with him for so much of of his career they're every bit as much of the thing as rick is in fact this episode is parliament versus rick when it's kind of more so parliament versus rick, rick and, and the stone, stone city band. band and and i think it's especially um poignant when discussing come get it because it is the first album and he's not full-blown rick james you know super freak and give it to me baby and fire and desire all that came you know three or four years after right so one thing i noticed that you know jumped off the page with this album is um it is a fantastic blend of ballads and upbeat funk his funk is a lot more straightforward than the free form that you get from Parliament, right? Yes. A Parliament record 
and mothership connection included, you can throw on and it, it's going to sound like one free form long jam session. Yes. Whereas Rick has, and this isn't a knock, he has more simplistic bass lines. He has more straightforward hooks and verses. It's more palatable to a lot of people than Parliament and what Parliament was doing. So I think uh, I think in comparison, it's really that uh, Parliament and uh, you know, it's it's kind of that that Hendrix thing, and and that is is controlled chaos. And that's not what Rick was. Rick was Rick was more buttoned up about his. He was like, and, and you was, wouldn't think that like just when you say right. Rick James, like yeah, oh wait, Rick James certainly wasn't. His that, product is tighter and it's more polished. Yeah. like you wouldn't assume that. Yes, his his was more. Uh, I you know if I'm picturing it happen, you know where Rick is like, let's hit every every note we have here, and with Parliament it's like. Let's get in there and funk around. Let's do acid like, and see what comes out of it. See what yeah. comes out yeah, of it. Yeah. That's literally what it was. Right. Um so yeah, with Rick and and you mentioned his his versatility is insane, you know, like and it, this is a good example right here, right, where I I love Rick's funk shit like it's it's the up tempo stuff. I love his up tempo right. funk music and and you're a little bit more partial to his ballads. Correct. Um, though we both love both, both of them. Because I love yeah. I love his ballads as well. But he, I mean, on this album, he's showcasing that he can just dominate really both aspects of it. Yeah, Rick, um, and I, I feel like we mentioned this in an earlier episode. Rick was a guy that came out with a hit making formula. Like there was no um he's finding his way and on the fourth album he figured it out. And you can't say that for for parliament right i mean their their first couple records and we'll get into them but like rick came out the gate which is almost why it it, to me it did work out that he had to wait that long because by the time this came out in early 78 he knew exactly where he wanted to go with his music and you and i the first monster single off this album i mean go ahead and talk about that because it's to me one of his greatest singles ever to this day yeah if i have to if I have to pick a top five favorite Rick songs, I mean, you and I is very easily cemented in there. Very easily right. on there. Um, it's uh, from, I mean, from the the very beginning, you know, this is a, this is a song that it's the beat switches from from you know the beginning it opens a certain way and then the beat drops and it's just a perfectly orchestrated song to me and rick being the the songwriter that he is it's almost like um you know what i think great songwriters can do it doesn't have to be the most complex shit it can be you saying simple things at the right time. Right. Like, and how you deliver it and how you deliver right. it. So, I mean, he says you and I, we fit together like a glove on hand. That's not like some insane, like no. the most romantic, but it's, but it, it hits yeah. like yeah. the way he delivers that is just like, it's perfect. So from the, the very beginning of the song is just, 
like Rick, I would say you and I really showcased, and it's why the song was so big. It showcased that Rick really was like he was a star in the. He was already a star. Some guys who was just, just have, now going into his his first right formal project. Yeah. Some guys just have quote unquote it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the charisma, the delivery, like you said, he's not the greatest vocalist. Like this isn't Luther Vandross we're talking about, right. but like the way he enunciates and stretches certain words and oohs and ahs. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. And um, one thing that I always loved about this album is, you know, it came out on Motown, as we discussed. Um, he has so many references where he's really talking like some G shit and Motown doesn't even know it. It, yeah. You know, like on you and I, it's like you and I, we go together till the six is nine. It's yeah. like Barry Gordy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And a well, so- Rick- <laughs> there's a song, obviously, Mary Jane is probably the biggest example of that, where Brass at Motown thought that this was um, an homage to this girl that he loves. And he's talking about weed, you yeah. know, so I classic mean, song, by the way. Rick, Rick could uh, Rick could sing to a drug like no other. Rick. <laughs> Rick was a freak all the time, right? Like he, he was very good at making songs that, uh, that were subtly obvious. Yeah, he they were subtle enough, but like with yeah. a, it was like with a wink. It's like you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and know? I mean, it's what uh, it's part of what propelled him to where he was and why he was. I mean, women just like Rick was was that like the women loved rick and and that's part of it like the dude was out there just flaunting the he wanted to he wanted to be a rock star and that's exactly rick was he became the embodiment the sexuality of that. right like and he he was so good at so on this album there's a there's sexy lady mm-hmm. okay this is an up-tempo song this is very uh it's not. It's not disco. It doesn't sound very disco. little hint of disco. A very in it. slight hint of it, but it's it's still very up tempo and funky. But it's still. Uh, it has like the the lyrical feel of a ballad. Right. Like he was. He was so good at kind of being a chameleon between both worlds when it came to that. Like. He could kind of just jump right into one and out of another and mix them up. And and that's what this album, I think, is just a perfect example of. Like, I think uh, Rick was in a, a a creative space when this album came out uh, and its and its follow-up. Like, Rick was just on, kind of on fire mentally. Like, he was able to really structure a song extremely well. Well, this album, you know... Like you said, it it kind of goes from up tempo funk to a little bit of disco to ballad to breezy stoner anthem to yeah. to ballad to up tempo funk. Yeah, uh, the intro but it stone, never ever it, feels it, like it's out of disjointed, place. Disjointed, right? Yeah, yeah, it never feels like. All right, man, this is too much of a shift. You know, right. I'm in one zone, and then you're throwing me into something else. And and you know, I can think of countless albums that suffer from that, where it just sounds That's a dangerous thing for an artist to do. Right. right. You, you want to have things be kind of if you're going to have that shift be somewhere, you maybe want it at the beginning or the end. Right. Or so, you like know, side you A is, is 
this right. and side B is more catered towards that. Right. Yeah. And this this just kind of this goes in and out. And uh, what goes in and out in the in I think what really keeps it all glued together too is that like the quality is just so sharp. I mean, every one of these songs, it's not the longest album, you know, album we're talking about hip hop albums. We're we're dealing with albums that, you know, 15, 20, 23 songs if you got skits littered throughout. I think this is seven or eight songs and um you listen to this he entire album in under 50 minutes. Correct. But I see I think that's part of what makes it like a classic too, because there's no misses. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Like the opener, Stone City High, is very much Parliament influenced. Oh yeah. But going oh, yeah. back to that being that chameleon, he can. And you know, one thing I love about his ballads too is he toes this line right of being extremely sensual and melodic, like the Philadelphia sound, and also being like borderline corny. But it's always worked. Yeah. I mean, there are several songs, you know, Dream Maker and how he's yeah. singing on that and Hollywood. And it's yeah. just like, it's so over the top. But it like, it, that is Rick. But that was him. That's Rick. That's him. So. Yeah, right. That's that's what he is. It really is funny because if you break it down to, to his bare bones, you have on Hollywood, uh, you almost picture like some starlet just like singing to the moon about like, I'm on hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. like he pulls it off. It's it's a great song. Like it's a it's just a great song. He's just singing to his mom and dad about like, hey, I'm, I'm off. out. Yeah, I'm, I gotta I'm, go to. I'm out of here. This before this, you know, quote unquote ghetto life gets the best of me. Right. I, I gotta bounce. And one thing I love, you know, while we're on the subject of Hollywood, is how Rick goes from that ballad, and then towards the end of the song, you get pure reggae. And I yeah, feel like just, the beat just switches like Rick in later years never really felt bold. I'm not saying that the music was bad, but it was very formulaic and, and you knew what you were getting out of a Rick project. I would say post glow, you know, or post cold blooded mid eighties yeah. with this, um, he's being experimental. He's, he is trying new things. And I think part of the reason that this album holds up so well in 2023 is that because it doesn't feel trapped in the disco, uh, lane. It doesn't feel trapped in pure funk and you gotta be in, maybe you gotta be in the mood for that. It, it's not a Philadelphia soul record where it's just nothing but lush ballads. Like yep. it's a little bit of everything. And because it's so concise, it just feels like this tightly, tightly knit product that you can play over and over again. You know what this album gives me the the sense of? It gives me the sense that uh, Rick picked up a little something from everywhere he had been along the way. You know, like well, that's valuable. Exactly, like it's his the the journey to get to where he ended up to lead up to this album because Rick had had it was a decade. Plus, deep into you know doing like formally music, being on songs, right? Yeah. Uh, and he picked up something between all these legends he worked with at Motown, and between being on the music scene in Buffalo, and between being on the music scene in LA and in Detroit, and in all these different places. Which Detroit is just a, I mean, we'll we're going to talk about Parliament soon. That's Detroit is just a a, a hub for right. music, like. It is a true hub. Which is, for I mean, you know, it's so crazy to say too, because unfortunately, if you look at the city for really the last fifty years, yeah. it, it, they've just let it decay. But yeah. it was a gold mine yeah. in its era. It was, and 
he picked up something from everywhere he went and you almost just you see it in his album like he is is why he was he was kind of good at everything you know he yeah he had his finger on the pulse of like i feel like what people wanted out of rick was a force to be reckoned with and then if you if you go and look at uh i was looking at this just for uh shits and gigs earlier the you know quote unquote best albums of 1978 hmm what do they got like Saturday Night Fever, the soundtrack on there? <laughs> that was a rough year, man. Yeah, yeah. 78. Uh, you got Marvin's Here, My year. Dear, which was yeah. another yes. Yes. Uh, Motown project. One of my favorite Marvin albums. Yeah. But 78 was because now you're in the midst of like, it's nothing but right. disco. It's just, and yeah. it's like, it's getting tired out. And it's not, there's no creativity in it right. anymore. It's like, oh, there we go. That same old four on the floor, on B, and that's it. That's get it. The, the discotheque popping and everybody could roller skate around. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, you, we needed a Rick, you know, like it was, it was time for that. Right. So, um, you got a favorite song on this and it, favorite song. And then like any, cause I, I like doing this when we do these episodes, like any one thing that maybe you would, I could do without that. Like what is there any bumps in the road along this project? There's things I want to say that I'm not going to say till the end just because I well, we can it save fun- it if you no, want, if you want, I want to find, I find it funny to do that, but okay, well we can, but no, no, want. no, this, I, I am going to answer this in part. Favorite song is Mary Jane, and it it really there's two. It's a two way battle. It's Mary Jane and you and I, and it's it's for for different reasons. The Stone City Band on on Mary Jane, um, with the guitar, and just the the backing the vocals the, the vocals, backing vocals yeah yeah are. I mean, that's a perfect song. It is a perfect song. Like, that's just a perfect song. Just the melody, uh, the instrumentation, you can understand quite easily why it's been flipped as many times as in hip-hop as it has. You can't make a song better than that. And, by the way, only Rick James ever could have made that song. Right. Um. And for you and I, it's that horn solo. That mm-hmm. shit just gets me every time. Like, I can't not... Yeah, and shout out to Rick for having the presence of mind to make that song like six plus minutes because if oh, that yeah. were only three three minutes, like I would have been hot about that. Like, bro, where, where's the twelve inch version of this? Because yeah. I need more of whatever the fuck this is. Yes, you know, absolutely. Uh, so, is is those two songs and mainly those two things that get me? Um, but I, I will go with I will go with Mary Jane. Um, I can't. I, first of all, I'll listen to that almost daily right and if it's ever on anywhere like i'm do I'm you, in do the you, moment do with you. that like <laughs> you're in target it's like do be, you do you <laughs> it's gonna be stuck in my head for yeah, yeah, at yeah. least yeah. the rest of the day yeah um well you know mine i mean I, yeah obviously we're recording right now but how many times have we talked about this album right hollywood man like yeah. hollywood i think is like the perfect representation of everything that rick is in terms of being able to be versatile on a song the ballads the writing um the epicness of it like it gives you that important type of feel it doesn't feel like a and throwaway Stone city again providing with their their vocals right. on that they were they were amazing on this album yeah they really were they actually went on to release like 
because Rick blew up like that, like three solo albums, yeah. the, well, so group albums themselves, and had some moderate success as well. Yeah. You know, the Mary Jane Girls, Tina Marie. Rick yeah. really, um, much in a way like Prince was able to do later, really did a great job of introducing his camp and, Very good with that, yeah. and making that marketable and hopping on choruses or writing a song for the Stone City Band and pushing that. You want to go ahead and get into uh, Parliament? Do it. Let's do it. The Mothership Connection, December of 1975. Parliament's always had an interesting story to me because much like we talk about Rick kind of dabbling in, I don't want to call it folk rock, but, you know, different types of music in the 60s, Parliament was doing the same thing um, as the Parliaments in the 60s and really was like a traditional doo-wop group with, you know, the the waves and the slick hair and all of that. Um they had an interesting journey, man. You know, they, they auditioned at Motown in 1962, I believe. And basically what they were told is, listen, we haven't even gotten a hit out of the Temptations. We haven't gotten a bona fide hit out of the Four Tops. This isn't going to work. It's, it's not going to be one of those things. So as the 60s went on, they started to adopt more of that counterculture in their music yes. and really became like a full-blown rock band, right? So Funkadelic success, um, inspired by Jimi Hendrix, inspired by Sly and the Family Stone, um, elements inspired by James Brown, um, kind of started to take off in the early 70s with Funkadelic. But George Clinton, in his infinite wisdom, said, I'm not going to keep just this group on this label. I'm going to call the group Parliament, and signed to another label. So what he ended up doing throughout the 70s, and it was kind of groundbreaking, really, is he had all of his his artists, and they're all in this giant collective, releasing albums under different names um, on different labels and, and making all of that money, you know? So their journey's quite interesting as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was genius. Uh, just to provide a little context on that, he... He basically had a, a a group of five dudes that were like his his backup band, and they would be the ones who who would come to be known as Funkadelic. Uh, the reason he lost the name the Parliaments it was there was some sort of legal shit that happened. He lost the name to the Parliaments, so he ended up getting that back, but then changing the name to Parliament and then making the collective Parliament Funkadelic. Right. George Clinton had uh, a very long journey to get to where they would eventually end up. Really um, with this album, because I think this album is the culminate, like it's probably the epitome of their success. Certainly. It certainly is. Uh, Cause you know, like stuff like stuff like uh, up for the downstroke, like it, it had a, you know, moderate or maggot brain or, or yeah. uh, free your mind and your yeah. ass will follow. Yeah. Right. This is certainly the the one. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned this this huge collective that they had that was, you know, it was kind of originally 10 people, but it ended up becoming this thing where people were just in and out. I mean, literally, people were would join the band and then be out. Somebody else would join, they'd be out, but then the people who left would come back. And right. It, it was just this revolving door of really just this insane, creative, uh, psychedelic rock funk right type of thing that was like really there is no 
exact precedent for there's people who did dabble in it um you know like you mentioned sly and you mentioned Jimi hendrix uh temptations the their psychedelic yes, era cloud correct. nine all that stuff correct mm-hmm. but this was so different because this was that as we mentioned before control chaos this shit would kind of go everywhere yeah it would go all over the place but for some reason you were tethered you still were were tethered to to what the the root of this song is even though it was just the instrumentation oh it could be all over the place you know six minute song and it's changed pace like three times throughout you know and um i always kind of looked at parliament funkadelic as like we're blasting, we're we're on the mothership, right? We're blasting off into into this space concept that that George Clinton has created, and he's kind of the anchor. He's like the tour guide, almost like he is keeping he you, narrates it, keeping basically. you grounded. Because yeah. um, he's not, you know, he's got vocalists that can blow. Man, yeah. Fuzzy Haskins was yeah. amazing. His band was outstanding, but Clinton always just felt like the ground, like the the anchor, the roots to all of this, and. The ringmaster. Right. So they they form Funkadelic. Funkadelic releases several albums. They reform the parliaments as parliament. And I would say in 74, this album, Mothership Connection, came out in 75. In 74 with Chocolate City yeah. is where parliament kind of started to shift into, they had their own identity almost, right? It's right. all the same guys, but like... Funkadelic remained grounded in that psychedelic, like acid rock. Yes. And Parliament was, I hate using the term like glossy or polished or clean when discussing anything Parliament, were, though. but it was much more um, accessible with their records. With When they right. made a Parliament album, it just felt like more, just more funk than rock. Yeah. And Chocolate City kind of blew them up in, into that category, but... Let's go ahead and get into the Mothership Connection because I do think that this is um, the height of their success. They're one of the first groups that, with this album, introduced that that UFO concept and it's it, the yeah. space concept and it's present throughout the album. But this also catapulted them into uh, a, a plateau where they could treat their shows like Kiss was at the time, right? They could get the giant UFO that, as they're playing the introduction, you know, um, flies in and here comes George Clinton in this long white suit and the hat and the everything. And, and like they, they embodied this, like this huge stadium arena type of feel with what they were able to do on this album, just conceptually. And one, one thing I say uh, should be noted, he was heavy and they were heavily influenced by James Brown. And that's no mistake. Um, there were numerous members of the JBs, which was James Brown's band, that would eventually become part of the Parliament Funkadelic right. collective, most notably being Bootsy Collins. The greatest bass player of all time. For my money, hands down. Uh, but you also have, like, Maceo. Maceo was yeah. a huge part of the JBs. I mean, some of my favorite songs from James Brown, like he shot one thing that that uh, I think is a really cool similarity, and I think George Clinton made it a point to kind of following the footsteps of this. Uh, James Brown, you know, famously used to right there on the song, 
kind of tell his band what to do. It kind of felt like this thing where it's like, oh, okay, it was regimented. We're making this song yeah. as we make this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And except, you know, James Brown would go as far as to find them on the song, right, keep right. it in the song, right? Which is hilarious, but uh, James Brown ran a, a tight knit ship, very yeah. tight ship. Um, tight ship, but, not tight knit ship. Get it together, Stephen. You know, it's, <laughs> it's been a long day. Leave, leave all that in. Uh, so. George Clinton would kind of do the same thing, uh, minus the the fine system, if you will, right? He would be on the song almost kind of instructing them to do something, right? It's almost like making the song while you're making the song, like kind of, oh, I want to add this in here, throw that shit in too, and we're going to leave all of this in on the track. Um, James Brown so heavily influence this because james brown is you know known as the godfather of soul but he's also he also provided the 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 bare bones for that funk shit that would with songs like the big payback yes and all exactly. those all those yeah exactly yeah. for what would follow and you know you you end up with basically uh parliament funkadelic ended up being basically the the best of the best all coming you know People who were influenced by people like Sly and Hendrix, some of which yet worked with them. Right. James Brown and his band. And then all of that bled into Parliament, which was just the perfect mix of even though Parliament had been around that whole time they they it's personified they their sound with this. yeah yeah i agree because like you said he he did pluck maceo he plucked uh yeah. bootsy and again bootsy is just even on this album he's such a driving force um one thing it, that i noticed in you know preparing for this episode is that if you were to talk to anybody um from the parliament funkadelic collective george did give them the freedom also, though, to kind of add their own style to everything. Yes. And, and it blended together so well. Um, Which is, by the way, not a formula I would recommend for anyone. Right. And they happen to pull it off so well. It's not always a thing where you, you see this shit all the time. You see it in sports. Like, let me just go get the collective of the best players and then uh, it should work, right? Well, no, because people have egos, people have preferences, they have ways that they like to do things. Somehow, this giant collective, they still managed to uh, put it all together. Oh, probably the drugs. That's yeah, probably what it was. Yeah. It was all the it's drugs. It's like, let's all just go that to George's house and do acid for yeah. nine hours. Yeah. And like we said, just play and see acid. what comes out. Yes. Yeah. So, um just a phenomenal album, top to bottom. Do you have any any personal favorites? It you know it's harder for me um, when compared to a Rick James project or really a number of other artists' projects to like find a singular song from Parliament Funkadelic that I can say, oh, this is hands and above, you know, my favorite one because, and this isn't a knock, but well, a lot of them, albums a, a lot of them like really play like one long record. Yes. You know, so oh, in the best way, that's the case, right? Yeah, in the best way, that's the case. Um, I agree with that. Uh, but if you know, water gun to your head, if you had to pick one, by the way, it should be noted as as we we talked about with with Rick, uh, how you can listen to that entire album, 
uh, under 50 minutes. Well, you can listen to this entire album in under 40 minutes. <laughs> this album is seven songs. Seven songs, and um, some of them stretch, you know, above, you know, beyond six minutes. And yes, uh, so it really, in, in that sense, to your point, that's why that's part of why it really does feel like one giant groove session, right? Because the some of the songs are long as hell, like. But and it, then it just when you don't even know where in a lot of cases ends and another begins. Yeah, you don't even know where certain. Like I, I'll listen to this album even today, and I've heard it a thousand times over, yep. and I'll be caught off guard because it's like, oh, that's the end of that song. I just, yep. re- I'm like a minute and a half into another song already. Um, while you're sorting out, you know, if you had to pick a, a favorite, I'm gonna go ahead and throw mine out there. I'm gonna go with uh, the title track, Mothership Connection, Star Child, right. for a number of reasons. Um, just vocally, it's incredible. I think it provides a backdrop for a sound that we heard a lot later on, you know, 20 years down the line with West Coast hip hop. And I just love uh, the harmonization that let me ride, all that. Like Dre just straight up lifted that portion of the song and used it on the chronic. Really, while we're on that subject too, like <laughs> there is no greater influence on West Coast hip hop than Parliament Funkadelic. I and maintain that Parliament and Zap built West Coast, West Coast hip-hop. hip-hop. Just musically. Like, I mean, you period. got guys like Gary Scheider. And who, James Brown. And James Brown. Right, yeah, James Brown. But, West Coast, but, but James Brown, it. yeah, I mean, that, that's hip-hop, period. Um, but guys like Gary Scheider, right, the guitarist on here, he ended up working on five or six DJ Quick albums. I mean, if you listen to... A number of these songs, even from the opening track, you will hear how Dre basically interpolated it. Like yeah. P Funk wants to get funked up. That's basically the Roach outro on the Chronic. So the yep. influence goes beyond, uh, goes a long way. If I had to pick a favorite song, it'd definitely be Star Child. But again, this whole album just kind of rolls into one lump project. That certainly would would be an option for me, uh, just for variety's sake. The other song that I lo- I love just as much as that one would be "Give Up the Funk." Mm-hmm. I mean, it just does have that that thing to me where it, it you know it well draws and un- me back undercover to, brother being burned in your memory also helps. yes <laughs> and it's just a cool ass song it I don't is, know yeah. what like it's it's one of those things where like when I listen to it I just feel. Like I'm cool as hell in that. I don't know why. Like well, you never will be, but uh, yep. I'm glad internally that you you feel that way. That's fair. Know. Self-esteem, man. Not the first time I heard that. Yeah. Uh, Probably won't be the last yeah. either. You yeah. know. But it it they see they have that ability right to take somebody like me well past their prime who would never be cool and make me feel cool as shit when I'm listening to it right. right. Like for some reason I just feel like I'm the man in that moment. Yeah, so, and <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's uh, you know, like you said, this whole thing bleeds together, in a good way. Mm-hmm. That and it almost makes it difficult to extrapolate. What's your favorite of it? Because there's so many, like there's certain things that just breaks in songs. Like I think one of my favorite things about uh, Parliament Funkadelic was there is there bridges in songs oh, like yeah. they're so good at at kind of going on this that you know they'll be they're playing a song for five minutes and then you know george is saying you know take us to the bridge 
and then it's just another five minutes of just some. Which almost makes it like that's almost makes it like okay, you can kind of like extrapolate them into separate songs. Because right. I understand what you're saying. It's basically like, well, I love the portion of this song. I love this portion of this song. Yep. Not that I don't like the rest of it, but like exactly. these are own little segments within the I album. Have favorite parts of songs that are on the back half of songs. Yeah, like is is one of those things. Like that's why it was just that giant funky. Jam sesh. I can't imagine what it smelled like in that room. Man, well, Arm some of the musicians, and yeah, and hair on. some of the musicians have been on record saying they would walk into the studio and it would smell like you know straight shit, and yeah. it'd be because George ordered everybody to complete the album or the song before you could leave and go anywhere. So yep. you'd have dudes, you know, just shit. sleeping yeah. on <laughs> sleeping on the floor. You know, they're tripping balls and they smell because they haven't took a bath in a week. So yeah, yeah they're they're. Iconic. That redefines funky. I think they took that a little bit too seriously. Oh yeah, I think they still would have done a great job. What they were able to do with their showered. with their shows and it, really this album just catapulted them into the stratosphere. You know, yep. Flashlight and One Nation Under a Groove and Atomic Dog, all and not just Knee Deep. All of that came after this album. Yep. You know, I would say that this is the one that kind of put them on at least a mainstream uh, radar. I mean, again, this was the this was the architecture. This right. was the foundation. Right. This shit built. Uh, hip hop, and it didn't. It should be noted, it didn't only build West Coast hip hop. Like, it, I, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I mean, mention it. Yeah, there's. I mean, just all across De La Soul, the, all across yeah. the board. Like, this was East Coast artists also took Correct. all of this funk and turned it. It's just that their production was different in the way they did it. Right, but. With the break beats and yeah. like EPMD when they would use it yes. is a lot different than Dr. Dre when he would yes. use it. And I hate to to harp on, you know, oh, you know, we start talking about other artists and albums and projects and influences. But if we were ever going to do that, this would be the group to do that with. Oh, because, again, other than Roger Troutman and Zap, and they have an interesting story with Parliament Funkadelic in terms of some bad blood. Yes, um, they do. I would say that they created the landscape for the most dominant music of the nineties, which to me was West coast hip hop. Yes. You know, for sure. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're looking at as, as great as this, this really is the thing that more than any, I would say on, on, on this pod and big part of the reason that we wanted to do it is all these things that we love, all these things that we talk about, it's, you know, this is the birthplace. Like, people argue about who was actually the first rapper. Was it Cool Herc, Sugar Hill Gang, all this shit. Like, who actually right. made the first... Man, the first rappers were in the 70s and shit. Like, these were really the first people that made... This is where hip-hop was born. Well, like, it's... Yeah, and I think it... uh I think with Parliament too, like their music, it's not just about the music. It's about the image. It's about the branding. Everything was so messy, but so perfect. I yeah. mean, from their art, and from it, their artwork by Pedro Bell to oh, the artwork um, is outstanding. To Every the characters single- that they would create, and and you know, George Clinton said it best. He's like, you know. Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse live forever because they're characters. So if yes. I can if I can create these characters then we'll, this will never die. And funk, and in particular, the P-Funk, 
will never die. I mean, we're no. we're nearly fifty years removed yeah. from this album alone, yeah. and to me, it still hits you know the same way I would imagine that it hit for people back then. You know, and for me though, those characters are you know, Star Child and Sir Nose, Sir Devoid Nose, of yeah. Funk. Like those are characters right. that that live forever to me. Um, there's there's no Humpty Hump from Shock G and Digital no Underground without, without Sir Nose. Exactly. You know, so exactly. And uh, again, you know, this is this is the this is the birthplace right here, and and it's so many of the things I think people need to realize came from something that was so far longer ago than you thought like where the birthplace of this thing was that eventually led to what you're listening to by the way it should be noted uh rick james had tina marie rapping in the 80s which was uh which was great i just wanted to know know that because it's 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 great yeah it's just a great thing Interesting um, pivot point, but it is. It's just it's know. just funny to me. Like he had a white woman rapping. Well, he had he had funny. The song is debatable that the too. first rapper was a white woman. I'm just gonna say. I'm just okay. gonna. Say, I'm just gonna say. For the record, ladies and gentlemen, this yeah. is not the white man saying no, that. So no, I refuse to catch any flack for that. Let's go ahead and let's get yeah. down to these projects, though. Um, I mean, I I, I want to put it in this nice shaped like, okay, where do you fall? But I'm I'm just gonna ask you, man, because these are again, we're doing another episode where I consider these two just super impactful classic albums. What are you picking and why? For the thing that I wasn't gonna say earlier, and I'm gonna say now. No, it's Christmas time. All right, now I get to. Yep, open that's this it. Present. I you were <laughs> sitting there with bated breath the yes, whole time. The whole time. Cause I didn't want to give it away. It would have given it away, you know. Yeah, don't can't show Look, your hand too much. Rick James is uh, my favorite artist of all time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I can understand <laughs> why you wouldn't want to say that. Earlier. I don't want to say that yeah. in the first twenty minutes of the show. Um, but the reason why I love that we did these two albums is because it has to go against something that's this powerful. That's on right? its level, yeah. So Rick James is my favorite artist of all time, and this is one of his top two albums, in my opinion. Okay. Um, and it's literally perfect. Like I, I was telling you earlier, not not only is this album an album where you don't skip any songs, you can't only listen once to the song. Like, I, I agree. You have to listen several times because the, the shit is just so – it's not like you're missing some crazy hidden message. No, it just sounds so damn good. You want the right. – you want to hear it more, right? So that's how I feel about Come Get It. Like, it's it's a perfect album. It's one of my favorite albums ever from my favorite artist, Rick James, the baddest motherfucker to ever live. And I nobody could tell me otherwise. Now, I can't not go with Mothership Connection. What? You I just can't. you just pulled yep. the the rope a dope on me, man. Yeah, like yeah. Rick, Rick James is my favorite artist yeah. of all time. This is a top two album, but Parliament. Yep. How do you not go with Parliament? Because as amazing as Rick is to me, uh, it's my opinion that uh, you know there's a few there's a few names that all go at this top echelon of like this shit right here built music. Uh, and that is Little Richard, that is James Brown, that is Parliament. Is these people that they're so influential, it almost, there's not enough time. Like, it, it cannot possibly be overstated 
how massive their influence is on everything that came after them. Uh, and and because of the important, by the way, it's a, I mean it's an amazing album too. Yeah, course. it's not. I'm not only picking this because right. of its importance. It's also an amazing album and an album where I'm not going to skip any songs. Like I said, it feels like an amazing 40 minute jam sesh that I'm listening to. But it is such a massive project from such an important entity. And entity right. is an even better word right. for it. Uh, that I'm going mothership connection. Yeah, and I'm not trying to discredit any of the impact side of it, right? I mean, I acknowledge that they are the foundation. I mean, Rick's talked about that. And as unfortunate as it is, you know, some critics in in researching for this episode, I went back and read some album reviews from when Come Get It came out. And there's a lot of people calling him like a parliament knockoff. And I think that that's lazy, right? It is. But... He was influenced by them. Certainly. I mean, like, on the record, like, would show up in documentaries, would be with them. Like, he knows that this helped shape his sound. Yes. Love Mothership Connection. But I'm going Rick James. All right. Rick is not my favorite artist of all time, but he's in my top five, right? Um, I don't even know if I would consider this his best album, but... In terms of what I enjoy, and simple explanation oftentimes is the best. Mm -hmm. In terms of what I just enjoy listening to more, because both of these have staying power, Come Get It is flawless in that regard. Again, because you have have a a, a piece of everything. You have the ballads. You have the, even the subtle reggae. You have the funk. You have elements of disco. You have pieces that sound like they were directly lifted from Parliament. Not all, but, you know, a a snippet here or there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Rick's run from 78 to 83 needs to be talked about more. Um, and the crazy part is, man, I don't think that it ever really got better than mothership connection for parliament. And I'm still going to go with, with Rick on this. I would say it got just album wise. I would say it got as good in different ways, never better. Okay. Which is, I mean, still a hell of an accomplishment. Like, but I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just one of those ones where throwing on Let It Ride. I'm a, I will say this about Come Get It. Those songs, I'm a li- Parliament songs are t- too damn long to be replaying two and three times. Right. You'd be sitting there for 25 minutes listening to one song. Come Get It. I, I have to keep hearing that shit back to back to back to back. But yeah, man, Rick is Rick is the baddest to ever do it. But and Parliament's the most influential to ever, to do, ever it, do it. You know, so um, yeah, you heard it here first. Rick James, Frank's favorite artist of all time, and he mm-hmm. didn't even pick him for this episode. I know y'all all couldn't wait to hear who my favorite artist of all time is. And there it is. Um, but really, guys, like obviously, we switched it up today. We went a diff- different direction with the music. Uh, definitely encourage you, if you haven't heard these before and you're a hip-hop fan or you're just a fan of music in general and maybe you uh, wanted to learn a little bit more about these artists, these are two projects that you can start off with and you're we're not steering you the wrong direction, you know? So let us know what you guys think in the comments. And as always, we will be be back rather with another episode next week take care thanks for giving us a listen give us your feedback and let us know how you really feel subscribe rate review and we'll see you next week